Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages and inspires you to follow Jesus a little more closely in the week ahead than in the one just passed. And if it does, I'm gonna ask you to do two things. First, smash that share button. Send it to whoever you think might be blessed by it. And then two, I wanna invite you guys to give to supporting this ministry. We exist because of the generous support of people just like you who have moved from just consuming from the kingdom into contributing to its advancement. If you want to do that, head over to cfmiami.org slash give and follow the instructions right there on the screen. Enjoy this teaching. Hey, aren't you glad that we're able to sing to a Savior whose death meant death, the death of death, and His life now gives us a future and a hope. Can you worship God on our campuses? What a great risen Savior we have. Amen. Hey, well, welcome everyone. So great to see you. I'm excited about today. My name is Omar, and I have the honor and the privilege of serving as a lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship. And I want to welcome everyone right now watching us live online through our YouTube channel, as well as through all of our local campuses here in Miami live stream, all the way from Doral, Coral Gables, West Kendall, Redland Homestead, and even here at Palmetto Bay. Thank you so much for being here. In fact, let's give it up for our first-time guests. Thank you. I know we're the many first-time guests today for Child Dedication. And today we are continuing our series, our new series called The God Who Sees. You know, sometimes in culture, people may think that God is detached from what's happening in our lives. But the reality is that when we look at God's Word, we see a God who's actually very well aware of what's not only happening in our society, but even in our personal lives. Last week, we looked at He is a God who sees our affliction. Today, we're going to be learning of who He is a God who sees the sign of our covenant relationship with Him. We're going to find out a little more about today, all right? So wherever you find yourself, let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word. It's the way we honor His Word here at CF. And uh, today, we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. And you can follow along with me as I read, all right? Listen to what God's Word says. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my what, church family? My what? My covenant between me and you. In other words, God makes beautiful covenants with his people. That is God's word. You can go into a seat, everybody at all campuses. Again, so good to see you today. So let me start off by sharing this with you. You know, next week, Ashley and I are taking a short trip to go celebrate our six-year uh, wedding anniversary. And uh, yeah, thank you for that. My beautiful bride is right there. And uh, we're going without children, thank God. No changing diapers. We're looking forward to that. Just be enjoying, just some time to relax. Um, and listen, like many of you, whenever our anniversary comes around, my mind always goes back to that day when we got married. Now follow me here. Because that wedding day, just like many of you, was a day filled with lots of people, right? It was a day filled with lots of detail, lots of moving parts, and frankly, a lot of stress. You may remember that from your own wedding. But folks, even though there were a lot of things going on that day, 
The reality is, is that the only thing that mattered on that day were those few moments when Ashley and I went before our friends and our family and we made some beautiful promises to each other. In fact, we call that a marriage covenant. Well, we went before other people, people who we love, right? And we entered into a covenant relationship with one another. And folks, here's what's interesting. Right after, right, we entered into that covenant relationship, the first thing that we did was not to go out and say hi to our friends and our family, was not to go take pictures of our wedding day, was not to go to the dance floor, or was not to go and, and sit down and enjoy a beautiful dinner. No, no, no. The first thing that we did immediately after we made those promises to each other and entered into that covenant relationship was to exchange the rings. You see, this ring, even though it's not a few hundred dollars, it wasn't very expensive, this gold ring right here was actually the most important material thing that day. Why? Because this was a symbol, this was a sign of that covenant that we just had made with each other. And in fact, don't miss this, because when I look back on that day, that one physical thing that I treasure the most from that day is this wedding band. Why? Because every single time that I look at that ring, it reminds me of not only of that covenant that I made with my wife, those covenantal promises, but also every time I think I look at, 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 this, at this band, I think of, how, of all the things that led me to fall in love with my wife and eventually entered into a covenant relationship with her. And folks, let me just bring that over to our teaching for today because I thought to myself, what a picture of how God relates to us. And by that, I mean that just like this ring that I carry every single day, you'll see it every single time um, if you see me, it's a symbol, it's a reminder, it's a sign of those covenantal promises just like that. And here's the main idea as we dive into God's word today. Throughout history, God has always given his people a symbol or a sign of his covenantal relationship that he has with us. So that every single time we think back to that symbol, we, we think back to that moment, we remind ourselves of not only the covenantal relationship we have with God, but we think of all the amazing attributes of God of how wonderful God is, of how faithful God is, of how merciful God is, of how gracious God is, of how patient he is with us. Can I get an amen to that? And who knows, maybe you're right now sitting here watching online, you're one of our campuses and you're thinking, no more. What is that symbol of that covenant that God has with us? And Omar, how can I receive, how can I get that beautiful symbol? Folks, we're going to find out today from God's Word from Genesis chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 17. You can follow along in our listening, guys, if you got them, as well as in our app. And today I have three important reminders of what we need to remember of God's relationship with us. Are you all ready, Christ Fellowship, to dive into God's Word? Let me hear you. Yeah? So write this down as point number one. Here's the first thing we need to know. And there's this, that God always relates to his people through a covenant 
relationship. Now, folks, listen to what God's word says in Genesis chapter 17. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, God, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God, what? Almighty. So walk before me and be blameless that I may make my, what church? Covenant. My covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now stop right there and slip into the scene for just a moment. Because when Abraham first got to the land of Canaan, uh, we learned this earlier this year in the last series, he was about 75 years old. And shortly after he got to the land of Canaan, God made a very special promise that even though he was 75 and they were not able, him and Sarah were not able to have children, right? They were already in their later stage in life. That God had promised that one day they would have a son. And through that son, not only would there be a great nation that would come about, and ev eventually the future Messiah would be born to them. And so that was shortly after God, Abraham got there to the uh, land of Canaan. Now, folks, fast forward 24 years into the future. Now Abraham is 99 years old and still zero children. And so at that moment, God has grace on Abraham and appears to him again and reminds him that God's promise stands true because he's made a covenant with Abraham. Now, if you have your Bibles open or your handout, go ahead and circle the word covenant for just a moment. Because the word covenant, it, it means in the original text, it means a strong promise between two parties to perform certain actions. And so when we look out throughout redemptive history in, in God's word, we see that some of God's covenants is what we call conditional covenants. Which means that God said, if you obey, if you do these certain things, I will do this for you. That's called conditional covenants. The other are unconditional covenants, which as you can probably assume already, right? It's promises that God makes to his people that he would fulfill regardless of how God's people behave or whether they obey or not. Now, the promise that God makes to Abraham right in this passage is an unconditional uh, covenant. In fact, listen to what God's word says next. It says, then Abram fell on his face, right, to begin to worship God. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a, the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, which means exalted father, but your name shall be called Abraham, the father of many. Why? For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I, Abraham, will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my what, church? Covenant. My covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of, so of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. 
And fam, listen, do not miss this because this is a monumental moment in human history. Because this is the juncture where God says, I have selected you, Abraham, and through you are going to be my people, the people of Israel, and through your offspring, I will eventually bring the Messiah, the Savior of the world, which we know is Jesus Christ. But not only that, it's interesting that he also talks, talks about the land that they were standing on. And he says, this land will be for your offspring forever for the people of God. And, and what's interesting is that if you think about it, you know, even though uh, ethnic Israel, the people of Israel, were, were out of the land of modern-day Israel, they were out of that land as God would have it. God brought them back in 1948. They reestablished themselves as a nation. And here's what's interesting. Even when you look into the future, once everything's said and done and there's a new heaven and a new earth, the Bible says that we, the people of God, we are going to live in the new Jerusalem, which is, the, which is heaven, and it's going to come down and reside in modern-day Israel, the same place where God had promised. And so isn't it amazing that I promised from 4,000 years ago it's still being seen today. Can we praise God for that? And folks, here is why covenants are important. Write this down as letter A. It's because covenants, God guarantees his promises through his covenants. Now, you may be wondering, well, pastor, how does God guarantee a promise through a covenant? Well, folks, let me just help you understand the difference, for, for example, between a contract and a covenant. So for example, contracts, we're very used to contracts. Many of us have contracts that, it, that we've entered into in our own lives. And a contract is, pro, is a promise between two parties. And within that, within that contract, there's usually stipulations that there's, if there's a breach of contract, if a party does not fulfill their end of the bargain, that the other party will be compensated to, to recoup the damages, right? So that's kind of part of, of every contract. Folks, here's what you need to understand about a contract. If there is a breach of contract, for example, there's technically no moral violation, right? Because the other party is just going to get compensated for their loss, and so they're squared away and they move forward. But folks, when someone enters into a covenant, it's different. You see, a covenant, same way, it's promises between two parties. There's also stipulations that if you, there's a breach of contract, there's consequences that deal with it. But here's what makes a covenant unique. See, if there is a violation of a covenant, there is a moral violation. Why? Because there was a breach of trust. You see, when those souls parties came together, it was not only just a contractual agreement. There's something more, something deeper that they gave each, each other to, they gave it themselves to each other. And there was a, 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 a sense of, of trust that took place between both of these people. And so what you need to understand is that there's never a sense where a morally upright person uh, breaks a covenant even if they are able to, to, to give restitution to the other party, they still, uh, in the eyes of God, they have sinned because there's a breach of trust between those two parties. And folks, this is why a marriage covenant is a covenant and not a contract. Because whenever two people come together, what happens is that there is an exchange of trust. And to break that marriage covenant is a breach of that trust. 
So going back, so hypothetically, let's assume that God ever got into a contract with his people. If God would ever break that contract or not fulfill, which he wouldn't, but let's just, let's just say, there would technically no, be no sin on behalf of God. He just gives us, covers our expense or whatever the case may be. But here's the difference. If God was, would ever be, uh, were to break his covenant with us, listen, he will no longer be holy. He will no longer be glorious. He will no longer be uh, 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 perfect and sinless. Why? Because the moment that he breaks a covenant, even his name is at stake. Which, by the way, God can never sin, and so he can never do that. But if he will break a covenant, it is a sin for God to do that. So God enters into, his, into a relationship with his people based on a covenant so that they can be secured. Everyone say secured. secured. Everyone say secured. Yeah, so that they can be secured and trust in the promises of God. And here's what's interesting. In this passage, you may have noticed, but one of the names of God is actually, the Old Testament names of God is actually revealed in this passage. In fact, the, in fact right before Abraham reminds Abraham of their covenant, he tells them, I am God Almighty. In fact, today, can we learn a little Hebrew together? One person was excited. Can we learn some Hebrew together? Yeah? All right. All right. So, so, so here's, so here's a, last week we learned that he is El Roi, right? The God who sees. Today, God Almighty means in the original text, uh, El Shaddai. Can we say El Shaddai together? El One more time. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Yeah. El Shaddai. And here's what El Shaddai means. The, name, the word El in the Hebrew means God. And so whenever you hear, like I told you last week, whenever you hear a name like Daniel, Samuel, it has the word of, the, 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 the word of God engineered into that name. Now, Shaddai is actually means almighty and all-powerful. And so it's interesting that this is the very moment that God reveals his name to Abraham, this name of, uh, to Abraham. Because he's saying, Abraham, I am El Shaddai. This covenantal promise I've given you, even though you're 99 years old, I am El Shaddai. I am the all-powerful God. I am the all-sovereign God. What I have promised, I will bring to fulfillment. And listen carefully, child of God. Listen, when you go through your life, and you go to God's word and you read these beautiful promises that God has made to us, to made to you in his word. God wants you to rest assured. God wants you to live your life resting in the promises of God because the one who promised us is El Shaddai. And so when you go through the highs of lies and the lows of lows, listen carefully, child of God, you stay trusting in God. You stay believing God because he alone has the power to fulfill it. Let's praise God for that today. Amen. And folks, because God's covenant, right, are so important. Write this down, letter B. God provides signs that symbolize that covenant relationship. Again, going back to my opening, you know, this ring is a symbol, right, of those covenantal promises that I made with my wife back at that, at that at, on that day. So you may be wondering, well, Omar, what is, what is the sign? What's the symbol 
of, of, of God's relationship to his people. Well, folks, write this down. It's big number two if you're taking notes. God gave Israel the covenant sign of circumcision. Now, let's go back to the text. This is read it for ourselves, right? It says, it says, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and it shall be a what, church family? A sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, you may be wondering, well, Omar, why did God give ethnic Israel this this sign, this covenant sign? Well, listen, God does not explicitly say why he did that, but there are certain things that, that lead us to an understanding of it. You know, first of all, it's a mark in a very private, intimate place, right? Just like our relationship with God, it's something that's private, something between us and God, right? Second of all, uh, it deals with the male reproductive organ, which kind of ties to the, to the thought, right, that Abraham, God was telling Abraham that through your seed, through you, you will eventually have a multitude of nations, right? So there's that connection there. And third, it signifies, and the New Testament alludes to this a little more, that God's people are cut away from the sinfulness of this world. And so when we become a believer in Christ, when we enter into a relationship with God, right, now we are walking, now we have, you know, cut ourselves away from the world and then we're walking after God. But folks, listen, regardless of the reason, the key is that for ethnic Israel, in order to be part of the people of God, they must bear that sign that symbolizes the covenant relationship with God. In fact, God warns to ethnic Israel that if you do, not, if they, they would not do this, that a person could not be part of the people of God. So it was pretty significant for, uh, for God. But folks, listen, as redemptive history continues, I want you to zero in so you understand the transition that takes place. As redemptive history continues, we see if you look, if you read through, through scripture, that the, that the Israel, you know, were right with God, rebelled against God. Were right with God, rebelled against God. There was this roller coaster where the people of Israel just kept falling, kept rebelling, kept walking away from God. And so there's a moment in time where God says, you know what? I am going to make a brand new covenant in the future. And in fact, listen to God's word in the book of Jeremiah when he introduces and promises this future new covenant. It says this. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now, I want you to listen carefully. It's so important. I will put my law within them and I will write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one of us teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, know the Lord. Why? For they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And folks, this covenant, yeah. What's amazing is that this covenant, after Christ came to die for our sins, right, it was first offered to the people of Israel, ethnic Israel, and then to the rest of all the world, to the Gentiles. And that through faith in Jesus Christ, 
you could enter into this brand new relationship with God that will never end. And so if you're here today and you are a believer in Christ, if you have a relationship with God, listen, do not minimize, do not minimize the wonder of this new covenant that we have with God. Where he says that he will forgive our sins and he will remember our sins no more. As far as from the east as from the west, he'll cast our iniquities, our sins, and he will remember us, remember them no more. That he will be our God and we will be his people. Listen, that we no longer need to go to a priest or to a pastor or some sort of elite person to know God. No, every single one of us could have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And I love this part. He says that in a way that we may never understand, God for his people now through the spirit of God, he writes his truth into our hearts. And so as his people are living life and are going through life, listen, through the spirit of God, we have the knowledge of God in our hearts. And so listen, my encouragement to you, if you are a believer in Christ today, if you've entered into a relationship through faith in Christ, listen carefully, treasure what you have. Listen, that you can know God personally, that you, your sins have been forgiven. And for the rest of eternity, you'll know the God who loves you and saves you. Can you praise God today for that? Amen. And folks, because this new covenant through faith in Christ is so important, write this down as big number three. God then gave the church the covenant sign of baptism. Now, folks, listen to what the Lord says in Matthew 28. He says this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. In other words, go to every nation on earth. Tell them that there's salvation through faith alone in Christ and that they can be forgiven of their sins. Go and tell the whole world this brand new ability for us to approach God. But then it says, baptizing them. Everyone say baptizing. Baptizing. Everyone say baptizing. Yeah, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, don't miss this. Faith in Christ is what saves us. Amen? We are saved by faith and faith alone. And we, when we put our faith in Christ, we enter into a relationship with God. But then, baptism is a symbol, is a sign of us entering into this brand new covenant with God. Now, There are three important things that we all need to know about baptism that I want to cover with you today. Here's the first one. Write this down as letter A. Baptism is the first step of obedience after faith in Christ. In fact, listen to the example that we see in Acts chapter 8. It says this. It says, but when they what? When they believe, right? When they believe Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, it says, then they were what? Then they were baptized, both men and women. You see, notice, the first step of obedience after faith in Christ is what? It's baptism, right? The first step of of obedience. Now, I know baptism is something that is very well known in culture, right? I think most people can have heard of baptism, but so few people understand the nuances and why some churches do baptism and why some other churches do baptism in their own way. So today I want to just give us a quick overview of the different views of it. 
The first view I want to, the first perspective, the first tradition that I want to cover for you is a Catholic tradition. And so many of us know, right, they, Catholics believe that you can baptize infants, uh, little newborn children. They, they sprinkle them with water. But folks, here's what you need to understand about the, the, the Catholic tradition is that in their view, when they sprinkle a child, when they baptize a child, in their mind, they are actually saving that child. That at that moment, they are saved from their sin. And so once a child is saved from their sin at infancy, now the rest of their lives, they got to keep up and do and confirm and do as much as they can to retain that salvation, to confirm that salvation. Folks, here is where the Protestants and the Catholics sharply disagree. Because when we look at God's word, we see that salvation to be saved from sin comes by faith and by faith alone. In fact, listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for by grace you have been saved through what, church? Through faith and not a result of what? Works. You see, it doesn't say for by grace you've been saved through baptism. Through, by, by, for by grace you've been, faith, you've been saved through the sprinkling when you were a little baby. No, it says that by faith you've been saved through faith, not a result of works. And so you need to understand there's a sharp division here. In fact, 500 years ago, what we call the, the Protestant Reformation, the church broke off from the Catholic church because this was one of the crucial issues that we could not agree because when we look at God's word, we see that salvation is by faith and by faith alone. Amen? And so that is the Catholic perspective, right? Now, some Protestants, uh, like, for example, the Presbyterians and, uh, for example, the Lutherans, what they believe, they, they also baptize infants, they sprinkle them, but here's what you need to know about that. Under their view, that baptism does not save that child from sin. So it's different. you see the difference between the Catholic and the, some Protestants? There's a difference there. But what they would say is that, well, baptism could either precede or go after faith. That's what they hold. And where they claim that, where they hold that point of view is from certain passages that allude to something, which I call an implicit argument. And I'll show you what I mean by that. For example, in Acts chapter 2, it says, For the promise is for, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And then in Acts 16, it says, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So what they would say, well, perhaps, perhaps there was an infant in that household. And so perhaps they were also baptized. And so they would hold, well, you know, perhaps you can get baptized even before faith as an infant. But folks, here's the, the issue with that view, if I can be honest, is that, first of all, there's nowhere in Scripture, not one place where you ever see an infant getting sprinkled and getting baptized. Not one place. And so, in fact, what you see is that after someone comes to faith in Christ, 
they then, the first step of obedience is that they get baptized, which is the view that other Protestant churches have, including us, Christ Fellowship. Well, we believe in believer's baptism, where after faith in Christ, the first step of obedience is to get baptized. And folks, as opposed to never seeing an infant get baptized in Scripture, what you see over and over and over and over and over in Scripture is someone get, believes in Christ, they get baptized. Someone believes in Christ, they get baptized. Someone believes in Christ, and they get baptized. And you know, it's interesting, as I was thinking, even just as I was preparing, you know, th th that position where you can get baptized even before you're saved uh, to me, it's a little odd, and I'll give you an example why. I imagine, for example, that a kid in elementary school, a second grader, for example, one day shows up to school, and they're wearing a wedding band. And they're walking around class or in the playground, and they're playing with kids or playing with all their toys, and they're wearing, wearing a, a wedding band. And when you ask them, why are you wearing a wedding band? Well, maybe someday I'll get married. And so I, I, I'm just wearing my wedding band now. It's, it's a little odd, right? And so my personal, this is just Pastor Omar's view, it's a little odd to baptize someone even before they've put their faith in Christ, right? Because just like what, say, what, what brought me and, me and Asher together was our promises, this is a symbol, a symbol that comes after, after that, that moment you entered into the covenantal relationship. And by the way, I want to just restate it. If you're here and you're, uh, because we have child dedication this weekend, it's, a, it's also a very special thing because what parents did today across all of our campuses is to say, you know what? We are committing ourselves to raising our child in the ways of the Lord so that one day when they're older and understand the gospel and they're able to understand that Jesus loves them and he died for them and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, immediately after we'll baptize them and it'll be a great celebration. And so can we encourage all those families today that have dedicated children, thank you so much for that beautiful step of faith. And folks, listen, you might be sitting here thinking today, but oh my, I still don't get it. Like what's, what's the point of baptism? What's that all about? Well, write, write this down, letter B. Baptism symbolizes our union with Christ. In fact, listen to what God's word says in Colossians chapter two. It says, having been buried with him, with Jesus in baptism. Notice the language here. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, the apostle Paul here is working really hard to help us understand what baptism symbolizes, which it symbolizes that we are uniting ourselves to the, in the, with Christ in his death and resurrection. And so in other words, a baptism, what it really dramatizes in a way, is when someone is about to get baptized, when they go into the water, they're saying, I'm uniting myself to Christ in his death. I'm dying to the things of this world. And when they come back up out of the water, that means that now it's that they're being raised with Christ and are living a new life with the Lord. Which, by the way, is why here at CF, we believe in believer's baptism. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, baptism by immersion, by full immersion, for two reasons. Uh, first of all, Jesus Christ, when he got baptized, 
He didn't get sprinkled. He got fully submerged into the water. If you recall, uh, John the Baptist's cousin actually fully submerged Christ into the water and he came out of the Jordan River. And not only that, but even the word baptism, get this, even the word baptism in the original Greek is the word baptizo and it actually means to be submerged. The word baptism means to be submerged. And so, you know, when it's back in the day when somebody said, oh, I just got baptized, what they were really saying, I got submerged in water. I got submerged in water. And that was the symbol of our covenantal relationship. And lastly, write this down as letter C. Here's my last point. Baptism is a beautiful expression of our faith. You know, the truth of the matter, folks, is that when we get baptized, it's something so unique, right? It's something that is so unique to the people of God when they are saying, you know what? I may not be perfect. I may have flaws. And I'm going to be perfect the rest of my life. But here I am. I am saying that I've put my faith in Christ and I am uniting myself to the Lord. It's a beautiful moment where you are following the footsteps of the Lord and you're saying, I may not be perfect, but I love the Lord and, I'm gonna, and I will be following him the rest of my life. And so it's a moment in your Christian life, listen, that you will never forget. It's such an important step. In fact, take a look at the story of someone, a family that got baptized in our church. A few years ago, uh, me and my husband started attending Christ Fellowship. We decided we wanted to get baptized here at the church. They had these baptisms on the beach, and I kept telling him, oh, let's wait until we are able to get baptized at the beach. It looks nice, and I want to do it that way. So we kept waiting and waiting, and then some things started happening, one thing after the other. Then COVID came, and obviously there was no baptisms or anything going on. My husband got diagnosed with cancer on 2021. That's when he was like, I'm getting baptized no matter what. That was his wake-up call. Juliet was part of our baptism day. That's when Juliet decided uh, and I said, want to get baptized. I told her getting baptized is not a thing to just do it because you see other people doing it, but you have to be saved and know what it means. In the middle of, of all that, that's when Juliet got to know Jesus. Bringing her over here at Christ Fellowship has made her actually um, know more about God and about what uh, it means to be baptized. They do a very good job at CF Kids with teaching the kids everything they have to know about Jesus. We sign up for the baptism class. The day of the baptism, she got COVID and so did everybody else at the house. After a few weeks, we had to travel to get another treatment for my husband. So that also delayed her baptism journey. We kept trying to do it. Something always happened. It took us about a year to finally get her to get actually baptized. But the most important thing, like I said, is she was saved the night that she decided to just accept Jesus, you know. My husband wanted to be part of it too, you know, and wanted to be in the, the day of her baptism, but um, 
as he got uh, sick, he ended up uh, passing away. So he wasn't able to be with her, but I know that he, if one thing he did good was bringing his kids to Christ. Ultimately, that's the purpose of what parenting is about. Um, CF has helped me learn more about God so that I get to know him more. When I was in the baptism class, Ms. Vera said that there was gonna be a big party in heaven when someone gets baptized. So then I was like, my dad's gonna be eating cake and having a big party. It makes me feel really happy and like excited. I think it's important to be saved and get baptized because I want everyone to go to heaven and have eternal life. Getting baptized is something that he ordered and tell us to do, why not do it? It's our public way to express our love to Jesus. Wow. Yo, Church, I, I love that she said, um, it's our responsibility as parents to bring our, our children in the ways of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I could just imagine her father looking down upon, you know, with the Lord in heaven and seeing her little girl, right, get baptized. And so the reality is that baptism is a very full, is an important part of our relationship with the Lord. It's a, it's a beautiful step after we come to faith in Christ. And so let me end with this. You know, during the early church, baptism was held at the highest regard. And here's why. It's because during that time, there was a lot of persecution and there was a lot of ostracizing of those who put their faith in the Lord. And so when somebody took the step to get baptized, they knew that immediately after that, they were saying, I am a believer in Christ. And they, were, they knew they were going to be persecuted from that point on. And so in fact, baptism was so important that they would not allow someone to fully worship with the people of God until they were baptized. Why? Because if they got baptized, that means that, means that they've truly put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so here's the way that they would do it in the early church, at the infancy of the church. Here's what they would do. They would only have baptism one day of the year, and that was on Easter Sunday. And so here's what we, they would do. Those that were going to get baptized would wake up early as the sun was rising early in the morning. And they would get baptized during that time, which is the time that Jesus was being resurrected from the dead. That's the time that they were coming out of the water as well. And here's what's amazing. After they, were a, after they got baptized, they would be given some white robes. And then they would all enter, all the people would then enter into the place of worship they would begin to worship Christ and then they would look around and they would see all the people who got baptized with those white robes and they would celebrate and it was the most beautiful moment of the, of the year when people got baptized and they were all not worshiping God together. And you know, I thought to myself, why don't we go old school and do exactly like the early church did? Yeah? And so, and so, you guys, like, you guys like, like the idea? So, here, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have baptism on Easter weekend, on Easter Sunday. And here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to get, usually right now, we, we baptize after a service. When you're walking out, you see people getting baptized. 
this time we're going to do it before service. Early morning, people, we're going to get together as the sun is rising early in the morning. And so when you come on Easter weekend, when you walk in, you're going to get to see people get baptized. People are going to be getting baptized. You're going to see that beautiful expression of their faith. There's going to be a big celebration. And here's what's going to be amazing. For those who get baptized on that Easter Sunday, you know, they got white robes, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a special, very unique Easter weekend baptism shirt that's going to be really special, only made for those who are getting baptized that day. They're going to put on, they're going to get, come out of the water, they're going to get dried, all that good stuff. Then they're going to put that shirt on, and then we're all going to come together, hundreds of people we're going to be baptized that day. And in the service, there's going to be a moment where we're going to look around and all those people who get baptized, we're going to celebrate and we are going to rejoice with them. Isn't that going to be amazing? And so in a few moments, listen, I'm going to give you some next steps for you to do it at all campuses, how to sign up. But here's what I would just say. If you're a believer in Christ, if you surrender your life to the Lord, if you have a personal relationship with God, if you trusted the Lord with your eternal life and you have not gotten baptized, it's time. It's time. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. So I want to challenge you that if you are someone who you love, you love the Lord, you've never gotten baptized according to Scripture, the way God says to do it, I want to challenge you, this Easter week, the weekend, it is the perfect weekend to do so. Amen? You have enough time. It's going to be early April. Enough time to invite your friends and family, whoever you want. It's going to be a special moment that you will never forget. Amen? And so here's what I want to do at all campuses. I want you guys to humor me. Even if you've gotten baptized, I want you to do this with me, all right? Well, take out, out your phone right now. Take out your phone. Let me show them. I've seen some, a few of you texting. So I see you guys. Come on, I know you have your phone with you. Go ahead and take your phone out. Open up the camera app. Come on, you can do it. I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching. Come on, go and take your phone out. Open up the camera app and scan this QR code right there. You'll see a little link. You can click on it. And that, or if that doesn't work, you can go to cfmiami.org slash baptism. There's a form there that you can fill out. And so here's what we're going to do. In a few moments, I'm going to give you some time to fill out, but here's what I want you to do. After you sign up that form, you can do it with, by the way, CF Kids was talking about this, CF Students, so the whole family can get baptized together. So here's what we're going to do. After you fill out that form, you're going to get a little, uh, like a notification, like a, on, the, on the webpage and an email. On the way out at all campuses, we have a big booth, it says baptism all over the place, it's a big deal. You go to that booth, you, sh you show them your, that, that little message, that confirmation, and they're going to give you a Christ Fellowship shirt, a black shirt, really nice that you can wear on that baptism. They have sizes for you, free of charge. You show them, they'll give you the, the shirt. So you already have the shirt with you. And then you come wearing that shirt on Easter weekend before you get baptized, all right? So after that, you can go out there, right? So go ahead and take a few moments. And if you feel led to, go ahead and sign up for baptism now. And then I'll close this off.
All right. As you continue to fill that form, remember, at the end of that form, when you click submit, you'll get a little sign, a little confirmation. On the way out at all campuses, you'll be able to tune, submit, show that card, get a t-shirt, you're on your way, and then uh, our pastor will follow up with you and we'll get you ready to go, all right? Well, Christ Fellowship, go ahead and stand up with me. It's been a glorious day today here at CF. And I want to encourage you to be back next week. We're going to be learning, going back to the scriptures and seeing that God who sees the need for justice. It's going to be really powerful. You don't want to miss it, all right? Let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. Father God, we love you so much and we thank you. As we go out today, Father, I pray that we pray for a special blessing over those signing up for baptism. May you uh, keep them and lead them on, that way, on the way to that day. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray and all of God's people say, Amen. Love you all. See you next week.